This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to the Late Late Show on this late Monday. Tonight we are discussing nurture groups with our guest Katie Murray, an expert nurture group teacher. What are they? How do they work? How would a school go about setting them up? And how can nurture groups benefit some of our most vulnerable students? We'll find out soon. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So we are live with me, your host, Ray, and hopefully soon our guest of the hour, Katie Murray. We are talking tonight about nurture groups. So this is a topic that is particularly important to me, having been in a school um, previously that had these nurture groups, but I'm putting that in quotation marks because since moving to a new school this past September, I've, I've witnessed, experienced um, what an actual nurture group really is. And it is not, <laughs> it is not necessarily um, what you may have been told. Um, the 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 idea of a nurture group. I'll give you. I'll give you a very brief summary, um, and then Katie will introduce herself and give a much more detailed and much more accurate account. But the the idea of a nurture group is you have a small group of students who really benefit from um, nurturing. Strangely, is where that comes from, uh, and and they're placed in smaller classes for key subjects or all or most subjects, and they benefit from that particular environment. So it's not meant to be just about um, having a small bottom set, which is which is what um, what my previous understanding of it was. So when I when I first came to the school in September, my understanding of a nurture group was it was it was essentially a bottom setter. You, you took the the students who were struggling in, for example, maths or English or both, and you put them in a group of you know six to ten students. And they had intensive uh, core subject lessons um, in a secondary school anyway, in a primary, it might be slightly different. And they would benefit from more teacher attention, essentially. That was my initial understanding of it. And then, and then I've come to this wonderful school in September that has just set up this nurture group, thank you to Katie. And it is a very, very different experience. And I've been speaking to different teachers and and their own experiences of these quote-unquote nurture groups and the way that that term is being flung around throughout education without actually reflecting the core of of what a nurture group is meant to be is a little bit um inaccurate i suppose so at our current school it's very much um a holistic approach to the the entire student. So rather than it being a just a, a small bottom set, there's there's far more to it than that. So at my previous school, 
we had, um, I, I was an English teacher. So we, a few years ago, started up what were being called nurture groups. And there were kind of six, it was six to eight students being taken out of English because they were struggling with that particular subject and they were placed in a separate class with a separate teacher. And I've taught, I've taught some of those, some of those groups myself. And there wasn't really any, um, any additional care, any additional, um, there wasn't really anything else going into it. It was kind of, here's, here's this group of students who are struggling and we're going to place you in this class of, of this, this much, much smaller class of students. And you are essentially going to teach the, the same curriculum, but you can adapt it a little bit more. You might have to teach a little bit less. You can um, take some things out, make it a, a little bit less, less demanding. You can, you have the time to scaffold more intensely. And um, it was very much, it was very much a bottom set by, by some other name. And that in itself, I found useful for the students, obviously being in a smaller class, if they need extra support, that was generally beneficial to them, but it was absolutely not what uh, a nurture group is meant to be. If you're following certain principles um, and certain, certain kind of ideals and certain theory behind it. And I've been talking to a number of, teachers recently um for example i was at a at a union conference a few weeks ago and spoke to some students i'm um, spoke to some wow <laughs> spoke to some other educators about um ideas around setting which came up on on um my most uh, recent show as well talking to a, a senko about the the pros and cons of setting and a few of them had what their schools are calling a nurture group as well and yet not a single one of those seems to reflect what a nurture group is is truly meant to be so uh there does seem to be quite a bit of of widespread misunderstanding about what this what this actually is now our main guest tonight the reason i'm giving you my whole life story at the get-go is because i'm still waiting for, <laughs> for katie to join us she's having a few minor technical difficulties um but i will i'll give you a little a, a brief summary of of her expertise because she doesn't need to listen to me talk about her life so when she when she joins i will have got this out of the way so katie murray assuming she uh she is able to join us tonight. She's been an English and a special education teacher for over 15 years. She's taught in both mainstream and special secondary settings. In 2017, she completed her MA in special and inclusive education at the University of Nottingham, where she was awarded a postgraduate academic excellence award. Her research interests are young children's experiences of learning to read, the emotionality of the reading experience, and the holistic practices that benefit children learning to read. Katie has also had articles published on the experience of learning to read. So she's definitely well qualified to discuss, to discuss how to help students move forward in the reading, how to, how to kind of speed up that process and hopefully close, close some of the very, very, very wide gaps that we were seeing at our school. I, I work with Katie, obviously she were, we're, um, we work at the same uh, 
secondary school in in the East Midlands, and she's she has managed to with the very immense support from our senior management and 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 the school leaders. She's managed to set up an entire nurture group from scratch based on actual research and and theory. Um, and she's managed to make this work. She's, she's, she's built it up with the support of, of, um, the SEN department and with the amazing TAs and, and LSAs and, um, in our wonderful school, she's kind of built it up from nothing. So I do, I do want to hear about how she's managed to, to make that happen. Um, so she's she says she's a currently a nurture nurture teacher is how she defines herself, and she's enjoying putting all of this research, this immense research that she's done throughout her her career, and putting it into practice, developing this brand new nurture provision. So one of the things that would be really really great is if because there's some there's some listeners who seem eager to contribute already, um, it would be really great if we had um, some other comments, some, some anecdotes, some experiences, some, um, positive or negative experiences, I suppose, of, of this nurture group situation and how it is or is not working in other people's schools. I think that would be really interesting to hear from as, as well as from Katie herself. So, I'll try and summarize this again. She's still, she's working through the technology. We're going to get there one day, guys. So one of the things that um, Katie told me, and I'll have to summarize this for her when she arrives, <laughs> is that um, when she, when she came to see the school, because this, our, our school, it's a, um, it's a comprehensive secondary school and it's in a rather deprived area. And in a kind of generally more deprived area of the country, I suppose. And it's, um, she said that when she, when she joined it, what was, what struck her is the particular, um, needs of our students and, and that they, they were not, I mean, she'll, she'll probably phrase this a different way, but I think she, she probably felt cause we, we all, feel I think on a day-to-day level sometimes that that for certain students their needs are just not being met in a mainstream school and in our particular school just to give you context we do not set students in core in in English for key stage three or key stage four which is I think highly unusual and again we'll welcome comments to the contrary but I've never worked in a school before that does not set set students for English at um, key stage four um, maths is mixed in year seven and they then set students afterwards. And, and I do believe they remain in sets. So <clears throat> it's, um, it's hard for students who are significantly, significantly below expected ages to fill a gap and it puts an immense immense pressure on on the teachers trying to teach those th- those mixed ability classes when you have students who are so 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 far behind and katie has just joined us absolutely wonderful um katie i'm just i'm just summarizing the context of our school <laughs> so everyone has a kind of general picture a picture of um 
subjects where we do and do not set and the, and the gaps, like the situation that some of these students are in. And in addition to the academic gaps, because of, of our location and the, the socioeconomic situation, there, there are obviously a, a number of other factors that are very, very significant in, in an inner city school. So all of those, oh, hello. Um, so all of those things are definitely, I think, I think the problems are, are reduced and the students are hugely helped by the presence of the searcher group. And I, since being at our school, from September, I find it really difficult to imagine a school that doesn't have some version, even if it's not a a true nurture group and and it's only a a nurture group in quotation marks, I feel like something is better than nothing. And it just, the idea that there's so many schools out there that are not, that don't have any kind of attempt at this provision is, is, is concerning in my mind. But anyway, that's, that's 10, 12 minutes of context. Um, Kate has joined us. So I've I've already given, I've already read out your bio. Um, But do you want to, do you want to just introduce yourself briefly and um, give us a a bit of a summary of what a nurture group actually is? Because I've said, I've said some things that are wrong, but can you tell us (laughs) what a nurture group really is? Yeah, sorry about that. I um, have had a few technical issues. Um, Not a problem. Hi, I'm Katie. Um, what a nurture group actually is. Um, I think I really love just what you said at the end there, that since seeing our nurture group, that you can't imagine how a school doesn't have one. Um, and it's really interesting because I've just been doing more reading about Nurture Plus, And I'm thinking, you know, we need much more nurture than we already have mm-hmm. um, in terms of the impact that it has so what is actually nurture so um nurture in its true sense was developed in the 70s um in inner city london um for children that were coming up in were in primary school um that really struggled with social and emotional um difficulties and it was made to sort of mirror the home um, with its sole purpose to engage children with missing early nurturing experiences so that they could kind of heal um, from early childhood trauma almost um, mm-hmm. to then make them be able to learn. So it was like this sort of, and you were only in there for two terms. Um, so it was yeah really 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 quite um powerful reading so i did all this research before i started in september and i was just blown away by the 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 power of it and the sort of healing element of it um i just thought it was beautiful um but very very different from what you call a nurture group in a secondary setting when you take it back to the you know what it was actually there for in the, in the first place but so much you can take from it um so many of our children are missing those early childhood experiences for one reason or another and if they've not if it's not been healed and soothed in primary school coming to secondary they are unable to, you know to keep learning 
Yeah, and in, you mentioned. Sorry, Katie. Before you carry on, is there any way you can turn your mic up? It might be my might be my headphones, oh, but you're a little bit quiet. Um, it's. I'll, I'll let you try and sort that. Um, and you you mentioned to me as well when we were talking the other day about how all of this research, I think you said, was about students in primary schools, and that there wasn't really much out there in terms of of secondary. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, can you hear me? I, ca I can't. Um... I can hear you. I can hear you. It's just a, it's just a bit quiet. So carry on. Not, um, no, not much at all. Um, from what from what I read, basically, it was take the principles and apply it to secondary school, um, but nowhere near the sort of amount of literature there is involved in putting it into primary, which makes sense because really if we are nurturing and if we are giving children back those early childhood experiences that they haven't had so that they can learn, it does need to happen in primary. So I can, yeah. I can understand why yeah. there isn't that in secondary. Um, but it was very much, you know, extrapolate those principles um, and make it fit your school. Um, yeah. But, so what 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 did you i was i was trying to paraphrase what you told me the, the other day um in terms of kind of giving context to our school and and what might have um what you might have seen as the the significance of a nurture group in our particular setting at this this um deprived inner city school in the east midlands in the center of the country um but what what was it ab about our particular setting that made you realize the nurture group would be so valuable for our students um so first of all the well primarily it was i think it was conceptualized because of the reading ages being so low right um, so the reading ages are profoundly low and um, i think that's why um it was initially thought of to sort of bridge that gap and teach children how to read quickly um, when I started to have a look around the school, though, and met some of the children um, and learnt about their particular context, it then shaped my research. And I was asked to put a vision together over the summer. And when I met the children before that, it completely changed how I approached really? it. Yeah, and I went down the whole... The, like the philosophy behind it and really went into you know what a true nurture is it, it was obvious to me quite quickly that this isn't just an academic endeavor um this is much more than pulling up people's reading ages yeah because i feel i feel like when i was on my 12 minute rant about what a nurture group is not um i i, I, I kind of mentioned that I, I feel as though a lot of schools recognize hey we have we have a lot of students who are, who are below expected, whatever the focus is, and we need to somehow focus on this this core group, and we need to pull them up, and then we need to to close the gap, and we need to do this. So let's just take the really low ones with the really low test scores, and let's just chuck them in a room in a smaller group and put a bog standard subject teacher in there who has no kind of specialist expertise or training, i.e., me, and. And get them to do, you know, more or less the same thing, but in a smaller class, and then miracles will happen, and they'll catch up, and everything will be fine. But that is categorically not what a nurture group is meant to be, no. correct? Correct. 
Yeah. Which is a shame because that's that's what a lot of places are doing right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. taking it right back to the primary example of how it was initially uh, conceptualized, it wasn't to do with academic uh, attainment. It was purely children who had suffered in their childhood and therefore were unable to learn in a classroom because they were missing those essential components about early nurturing experiences. And your nurture practitioner, your nurture teacher was there to almost mirror that kind of maternal and parenting skills that you cannot separate from early cognitive development, learning to read and learning to count is so entwined when, as a young child in being loved and, and feeling connected to and, and valued. Yeah, and if you, and I suppose even though you've obviously done exceptionally well to, to apply all of those primary focused um, details to a secondary setting, I suppose it's, it's not really that different. I mean, you know, Maslow's hierarchy is Maslow's hierarchy. Mm, that doesn't yeah. change no matter how old you are, I, you, you can't expect anyone, whether they're five or 15, to, to be able to learn a new maths equation if they are they haven't eaten in three days or um, they're trying to process some immense trauma that no one should ever have to experience and no one at home is there to support them with that. Absolutely, so yeah. I, I can imagine that there's there, there are far, far, far more, more similarities and differences. And we, in the, in the English office today, I forget the exact context of this conversation, but it was something to do with how, um, oh no, it was in a meeting. Um, someone said something about how this, this one tactic we were going to try, or this, this one, you know, approach we were going to try out with, with year sevens in, in the subject felt a bit primary school. And we all kind of paused for a second and then went, <laughs> But they they are a bit yeah. primary school. <laughs> like they are. You have to, you know, you just have to acknowledge that some some of them, a lot of these kids, especially now post COVID, just are not the grown up independent students that we may have expected that particular year group to have been. No, I think COVID has a massive massive role to play in what I'm seeing definitely because the yeah. sevens missed out on half of year 2 and year 3. Um Yeah, and that's and that's so clear. I mean, we've there there's there's so much discourse nowadays about the school, you know, I mean, I suppose there always has been. It's just now we've got social media to talk about it. But about the school system, the education system in, in this country is it being unfit for purpose and all this anxiety and students don't care and they're not learning. And on, on one hand, I'm thinking it's always been like that because it's not fit for purpose and it doesn't work for everyone. And we are, we're, we're all exam factories and, and that system is ridiculous and totally ineffective for a huge percentage of young people. And but then there's another part of me that that looks around and goes, well, of course there's this explosion of students who just cannot cope with it. Whereas before, so many were just suffering and getting through because like what's happened in the past few years that could lead to this sudden change in ability to handle the system. And to me, the answer is so glaringly obvious. It's, it's, it's because of the pandemic and because of the lockdowns and because of their disrupted early education at those key moments, key stages. Like, of course, <laughs> of course, that's why, why there's such a bigger problem right now. 
and then the but if if you accept that i don't know if you do but if you accept that then the logical point that follows is this is all temporary and that theoretically in a few years we should go back down to kind of what we've been expecting from students who've been pushed through this system so do you feel like the because I, I look around and I talk to people at, at conferences and I speak to, to other educators and it just seems like there's, I feel like every school needs to have nurture groups, proper nurture groups. And the demand for that is is astronomical and it's increased so much in the past few years. But do you feel like that demand is going to increase or do you feel like post COVID it will calm down a little bit and things will go back to what is considered normal? I think that's a really interesting question. And I was actually thinking that earlier as well uh, this week. Will there be a time when uh, the children that were only in reception when COVID hit, that they'll come up to year seven and actually they weren't that affected? Um, yeah. I'd like to think that's the case. Um, I really don't know. Um, yeah. I really don't know. I think that children's mental health is has obviously suffered with the pandemic. And I think children from disadvantaged areas were affected by the pandemic disproportionately um, yeah. because they didn't have parents who were able to support them academically. So a lot of the children in our current nurture group in year eight, for example, missed the whole of year four and had nobody at home who could help them. Um, Behaviour and relationships became worse you know, heard some horror stories about things that were going on between parents and children. Mm-hmm. Um, the primary school saying, just leave it, don't but don't worry, don't worry, don't even try and do any lessons with them. We'll catch them up when when we when school reopens. Of course that never happened. And then they come nope. to come to year seven and they can't don't know what a half is or a quarter and they've missed all place value and so they've missed all of that, but not only did they miss all of that the parents weren't able to help them and their relationship between their parents was damaged. Um, but even if COVID hadn't happened, I still believe that children's anxiety and mental health is, you know, it's an, on an unprecedented um, decline really because of social media and there's so many other factors. Um, yeah. So I would love to think that we're over the worst of it. Um, in terms of what we've seen with, in COVID-wise, um, but I think we we only need more nurturing. In yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that. I don't... Even with our provision, I think it needs, you know, it needs yeah. well, quadrupling, and the whole school needs nurturing. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there's, there's, there's so... I think the nurture groups, the true nurture groups are so important. It's, it's not just about the the post-covid explosion as i call it in uh quote-unquote problems but it they're just things that should exist for for certain students regardless because they're as, as i said they've all there have always been students who yeah. need those things this is this is not a new event um so in a moment we will um hear a few comments from um some people some listeners who have texted in their thoughts on nurture groups so if there's anything any listeners would like to add to that please do send us a text this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world have you checked out their latest releases use the code jctr 
2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The mother of murdered schoolgirl Brianna Jai has spoken about the need for positive change and a lasting legacy for her daughter. Mrs Jai visited Westminster as part of her campaign for mindfulness to be taught in all schools in England. She commented on her Peace and Mind UK Facebook page that her focus would be to improve lives by empowering people, giving them the tools to build mental resilience, empathy and self-compassion through mindfulness. She went on to say that she hoped to create more understanding for everyone. Mrs Jai has already raised thousands of pounds to deliver mindfulness training in schools in her local area. The Department for Education has said there were no plans to introduce mindfulness, but the RSHE curriculum included a strong focus on mental health and that all schools had been offered grants to train a senior mental health lead by 2025. Mrs Jai has also spoken about the idea for a phone for under 16s to limit access to social media apps. The Children's Commissioner, Dame Rachel D'Souza, told the BBC that she supported the ideas and said more could be done to promote phones that are safe by design. She described Mrs Jai's vision as really smart, but questioned whether the likes of Google and Apple would create phones with access that is safe by design. PM Rishi Sunak has stated that the new Online Safety Act is robust, but parents told the BBC how difficult it is to take away a smartphone from a child who already has one, whilst others described the pressure from social media as relentless. In Wales, the cap on university tuition fees is rising from £9,000 to £9,250 a year from September. Education Minister Jeremy Miles says he recognises students will be disappointed. A report on the BBC News website says loans will also go up to cover the 2.8% increase, which will affect undergraduate students studying in Wales whose home address is in Wales. Those with a home address in Wales but who study in other parts of the UK are unaffected because they already pay the £9,250 for their studies. Mr Miles blamed sustained inflationary pressure on high education providers in Wales and that the increase was unavoidable, but would help to safeguard provision and investment. The Guardian reported on school finances with an article on findings that almost half of multi-academy trusts in England were in deficit last year. 
The report by the accountancy network Creston UK was based on studying the accounts of 279 trusts, representing over 2,300 schools. It found 47% were running in-year deficits. Rising energy bills and staffing costs were blamed by many and made worse by uncertainty around income streams. School leaders say that schools are constantly asked to do more with less. Last October, the Department for Education in England admitted to making a £370 million error, meaning mainstream primary and secondary schools will be given at least £50 less for each pupil than original forecasting predicted. This forced school leaders to redraw their budgets for 2024 to 25. With energy costs still high and a recruitment and retention crisis leading to an increased use of agency staff, mean that many school leaders are facing further pressure on budgets and many expect a deficit trend to continue. More than 100 school buildings containing dangerous concrete will be rebuilt or refurbished, according to a report on the BBC. The government says all affected schools will receive funding to permanently remove the dangerous concrete known as RAC. Unions say the announcement includes no new money. The 234 schools affected in England have reportedly returned to face-to-face -face learning, but many children are still being taught in marquees, portable classrooms or in other off-site locations. Some pupils have not been able to access specialist classrooms for design and technology, as well as science labs and other specialist spaces. The government has been criticised for not making changes to exams for those affected. Finally, a jury in the United States of America has held the mother of a 15-year-old mass shooter criminally responsible for the death of four high school students in 2021. The 15-year-old himself was sentenced to life without parole in December, but at the start of February, the male's mother was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. The first time a parent has been convicted of such charges due to their child's role in a mass shooting. The case has raised questions about the accountability of parents. Although the youth's parents had gifted him the weapon days before the attack. Prosecutors also argued that parents had not paid enough attention to their son's declining mental health. US law generally only holds individuals responsible for their own actions, but this case appears to present some change. The schools where the shooting took place has also faced criticism for not acting swiftly when drawings of guns were found on the mail earlier in the day of the shooting. Whatever the outcome of the sentencing, the case appears to be reinvigorating debate around the issue of parental responsibility, alongside individual culpability. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So interesting, that last story there. Love to hear parents being, uh, I don't want to say caught, being held to some kind of account or potentially being held to some kind of account. I feel like there's a lot of uh, parental irresponsibility flying around, but that's a separate show. So we have, <laughs> trying to contain my snark this evening. So we have a few texts from some, uh, from some listeners. So the first one's from Megan who we know, <laughs> who we work with, who you work with very closely. So Megan says in the nurture group, so this would be at our school. Um, if you're just joining us, it's um, 
a comprehensive secondary inner city secondary in the East Midlands. So in the nurture groups, we start by meeting the students at their academic level, plug the gaps in their knowledge and build up from there. It's amazing to see how quickly the students can progress when they're met at their level, which is something that is so important. I remember, I remember saying, using that phrase in my, in my interview, um, for this for this job which is not a nurture teacher um but i remember saying you know how how important it is to meet students where they are <laughs> and it's it but it's so important it sounds it's it sounds like one of those things that people can just roll their eyes at and say yeah but they have to do the same exams at year 11 but you know not when they join you in year seven they don't and you can't we keep having to remind ourselves with with kind of the year group in general but especially certain groups within that cohort that you you can't just raise the bar you know three meters above their head and expect them to somehow meet it um yeah yeah and i think it's really really like i said in my presentation i did that it takes such bravery to say and acknowledge you know and then meg and i had to acknowledge that the children some of them are in key stage one and literally went a year a month and we got to year four by October, and now we're doing year seven work. But there's no way we would be comfortably doing year seven work if we hadn't honestly, like, and very vulnerably met them at year one and done that properly. Yeah. Because and it's and it's just in back that what they should have learned in primary. Yeah. Without yeah, that them they out, didn't get without making them feel bad and doing it properly kinesthetically. And it has amazed me actually at how quickly we were able to go through the years. Um, it's been a real learning journey for me. I knew we would get there. I knew we would um, get to year seven work during year seven. Um, yeah. I didn't think it would happen this quickly though. Um, really didn't. Three months, I mean, that's mind blowing. That is mind blowing, and it's yeah, and it's something that just would not happen in a mainstream classroom. I mean, even if you, even if you set the students straight off the bat at the start of year seven, which is enormously problematic, but if, even if you did, and they were ended up in the bottom set, there's just there's no way they would have made that much progress. It's 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 such a fundamentally different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Kieran Kieran has has texted there should be. And I agree with this. There should be a specific course or branch of PGCE yeah, like to be able to teach nurture classes the way they should be taught. I feel like a standard, in quotation marks, PGCE is maybe too broad without other specific courses or CPD attached. And I, I, I agree with him because when I when I was teaching those fake nurture groups, even though they they didn't have. <laughs> It sounds furniture groups, the furniture groups. It, it sounds, I, I sound like I'm being completely derogatory, but we were honestly doing the best thing we knew how to do at the time. Um, I, I felt a little bit out of my depth because I knew that these kids needed something radically different that I just wasn't equipped or, or, or trained to, to deliver. So can you, can you talk us through like what are what are the core kind of ideas or or principles behind a proper a real nurture group? What is the difference between a, a regular classroom and a nurture group? Okay, so the six principles. We'll start. Principle one is safety. So the classroom offers a safe place. So you make the environment 
um, a sensory experience and really focus on that environment being completely different to the rest of the school and offering what essentially is a, a safe psychological place for the children. Um, yeah. So low lighting, uh, cushions, rugs, true nurture, you would feed them. You would have a sink at the back of the classroom and you would build into your routines uh, sitting down to share a small meal or like toast before the day mm -hmm. starts. Um, I don't have a sink, but I do. We do feed them a lot of fruit and, you know, jugs of juice and have that sharing of food. That's a key yeah. principle. But again, that comes down to making connections and the nurturing element of it. Um, so the safety of the classroom, 100% and putting a lot of effort, you know, the I mean, have you, you've been down there and seen all the yeah. plants and the, yeah. um, so it's the idea is that it feels like a home, um, not a classroom Yeah. because you're going in with the nurturing before the, before the teaching. Um, second principle is well-being, importance of nurture for the development of well-being. Language is number three. So language is a vital means of communication. In proper nurture in a primary setting, you would have two nurture practitioners and you would model between the two of you how to speak to each other and how to care for each other um, all the time. And you will model language constantly, constantly talking, talking to the children. Um, it was funny, I was saying to you, wasn't I, Ray, that um, yeah. before I started, um, I was reading about that. I was thinking, oh where will I find this other person? Um, because it seemed to me so paramount that it was, you know, because it's almost like parents. Um, yeah. And that, you know, you're going right back and healing all of that. And I was thinking, well, I don't have, I don't, obviously I didn't know. And then of course I got there and met Megan. And so <laughs> Megan and I are the nurture parents. And we do look after each other and we share classes, our classrooms, you can't get to hers without going through mine um yeah it's very much of a family feel um so that's been beautiful because uh, i wasn't expecting that um and it was perfect <laughs> um next one behavior all behavior is communication now obviously this is still relevant to secondary but in mm -hmm. you can imagine more in primary the tantrums and all of that we're not labeling it good or bad where it's a form of expression um, mm -hmm. And that's still so relevant to secondary, but unfortunately, I think it's harder in a secondary setting to, um, I think they get in more trouble for expressing yeah. themselves in ways that they don't know. I think it's much easier at primary to pull that apart. Yeah, because there are, there are different expectations, there, you know, there are different systems, rigorous systems in place, there are different expectations of a, of a young person of a certain age should yeah. be able to do this, should be able to manage themselves, should be able to regulate all these shoulds that these, these kids are in the nurture group specifically because they aren't there yet. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, agreed. Um, and then number five, uh, children's learning is understood developmentally. And that's what Megan and I were saying about meeting them exactly where they were, they are developmentally, mm -hmm. not where they should be. Um, and I think that's been part part of the reason that we've had such a success that we have so far in terms of um, the children's achievements. Um, yeah. 
And then transitions is number six, understanding the transitions in children's lives. Which I think we definitely do a lot more for, definitely. The transition from primary to secondary, um, I think for a lot of them, it's like falling off a cliff, wasn't it? Yeah. Chasms and chasms. And I I remember like 10 years ago in, in a different school, you know, talking endlessly about the gap between, you know, and the dip that happened um, when they'd come in after being big fish in year six, and then suddenly they'd be in year seven and everything would just falter slightly and they, they weren't attaining what they should, again, with that word should there. Um, and I remember us having these long conversations, but I, I just, I feel like there, there weren't as many and the gap wasn't as big for as many students mm. as as it is now but that's you know it's always been in it even even in schools that pride themselves on that on that transition like like my last school did um because I, I do think they did a pretty pretty darn good job but it's just it's so it's so big it's so so massive um yeah definitely um so few more texts to um read out in just a moment and if anyone else again if anyone else uh has any contributions of or or alternative thoughts because katie and i are very much on the same page here pro nurture group um so if anyone has any other experiences please do feel free to share this show this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Question by a text here. How can TAs help more in nurture classes what do you think about that katie is there is there if if you if you and megan are the nurture parents <laughs> is there is there space for like auntie or uncle tas in the room yeah absolutely the more the merrier uh yeah so no, the, uh, the you, kind of- you would think that um because there's only five students in the class that I wouldn't need a TA. I don't have a TA because I've only got five students and we're really short on TAs. Yeah. But if there was enough money, I would hugely benefit from a TA. Because even within the nurture group, there's nurture within nurture, you know. Yeah. Some, some children 
needs need a one-to-one -one support um and you can just about do that if there's five of them um but the endeavor program we have where the six formers come in and help that is invaluable to me um yeah so yeah unfortunately we need we'd need more money to have a ta in there but it would make a huge difference so i didn't i didn't realize that we had um we had six formers going in and, and helping out as well that's that's one of the things that they do yeah yeah so i have um two six formers that um i i guess they ta for me they sit that <laughs> their specific student um that they work with in different lessons um yeah it's amazing oh that's okay well they're that's not that... all, they're not there all the time it's only on their free periods no they're not and obviously qualified um tas are are a different ball game but any any willing, kind, helpful <laughs> body in the room, I suppose, is is can be useful. Absolutely. That's, yeah. yeah. Again, okay, I did not know that. Adult. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they're amazing. Um, oh. But the children do see them more as peers than yeah than adults. Um, but no, I'd, I'd yeah. love TAs in the, in the nature. Okay, so they're not aunties and uncles, they're just older siblings. That's fine. I guess. Still. Yeah, we've, got, we've got older siblings. We just need some. It still fits. Everyone needs a big brother or a big sister. That's fine. <laughs> so one, one, I think a key question, one key question here is what, what are the benefits? Like you've, you've mentioned that, um, our nurture group, your nurture group, I'm, I'm not, I mean, ours in the school, I take zero credit for this. Um, the nurture group that we have at our school has made unbelievable improvements for some students in terms of, of uh, reading and maths, literacy and maths. But what are, what are the general, like if you, if, if anyone's listening, who's thinking, you know, oh, nurture groups, isn't that just a bottom set? Or um, oh. can't we do it in a different way? Or we don't really have the funding or we don't have the space or is it, does it really make that much of a difference? What would you, what would you say to convince them that this is a worthwhile uh, use of resources? Um, I would say, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I mean, you take away the fact that a child at the beginning couldn't read and now they can read and mm -hmm. they couldn't read at all and now he's reading the hunger games we take wow yeah yeah so i had one boy in year eight who i guess his reading age would have been a five i mean he couldn't read a simple sentence um and in eight weeks he was reading and we had he he has a tutor as well um and i had a problem the other day because he'd read all the books on my bookshelf <laughs> <laughs> and i was like isn't that an amazing problem to have that's the best um, problem to have <laughs> yeah i know yeah um yeah so that aside um children have just completely changed their how they present how they interact with the school interact with themselves you know children that were too scared to come into a classroom are now happily sat there enjoying learning and it's completely changing how the way that they see themselves you can just see so much healing happening that will have such a knock-on effect for their whole lives it's just yeah. beautiful um and you it, the nurture um group or, or environment is affecting children that aren't even in nurture that's how powerful yeah. it is. Um, yeah, 
other Sen children have changed in confidence just from being just from coming into the room and being part of it they're not even in my lessons <laughs> I know <laughs> it is it is quite an environment though you it go from this kind of especially yeah. where ours are, are, <laughs> you're you are, are located you go from this kind of high ceiling very bright yellowish light with the outside right there and then like you're in this ridiculously like warm cozy space yeah it is lovely so it's not just it's not just about it's not just about the numbers and it's not just about the reading although that is you know that's supposedly why we're here but there's there's so much more to it than that and yeah it's, it's all you can't really untangle all of it though you can't, you can't learning to read you you know that also makes you more confident that completely changes yeah. your perception of yourself and yeah. your relationship with other people it's really hard to untangle all of that um, but at the heart of it it's um making children feel valued and loved i guess which i like um, to think is higher up on our list of priorities than it, um, achieving a certain number. I like to think it is. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think what the Nurture Group has done is put that first and foremost. So every decision we make, uh, the children are at the heart of it. And I know that that's what we think we do anyway in a mainstream setting, but so much gets in the way before that. Yep. Um, absolutely um megan's megan's texted again she says one of your year sevens went from not picking up a pen in a mainstream oh, yeah. test yeah. to scoring near the top of the year group after having the nurture input and has since been transitioned back into mainstream successfully yeah, yeah we've had to transition out um but before christmas um, yeah and that's been successful no kind of yeah yeah well i okay. mean they scored so well um that they were they in the top quarter of the year so they went from whoa nurture, as in like only getting say three marks on their baseline at the beginning yeah. um to being the top quarter of the year Wow. I mean, that is mind blowing, isn't it? That is. I feel like I feel like <laughs> I I, I have that feeling that feeling when people are like lying to me, and you I'm know, like, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not lying. <laughs> but I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. That's what's so mad. We're all just wizards. Or this is this is this is the power of the nurture group. This is this the is power what of the nurture group. Yeah, because absolutely, we yeah. We started off playing counting games and <laughs> people that just transitioned out and none of them could count with even on their fingers. We couldn't wow. count in tens. Um, you know, we went from bunny hopping around the room account, trying to count in tens. Uh, we, I mean, at the beginning, it's so hard now when we look back because now they, if you came in, we are relatively mainstream in the sense that even though we still write on desks, they like doing big writing um, and yeah. on the walls and things like that you know we we are in our books and we are using calculators and we're behaving quite normally um it's amazing to think it was only two months ago we were teaching decimal places with musical chairs and you know everything yeah. with your whole body and we, we you know yeah it's yeah it's been an absolute joy it really has and um, do you do you normally see them? Because I know you have kind of two separate groups for 
mass and English. So is it just for those subjects that you see these students or are they, they with you for more of their timetable than that? Interesting question. Um, at the moment, it is English and maths. And Megan and I share, uh, we share the maths and a little bit of the English. Just English and maths. I want to um, expand, nurture. I want to create a nourish, which is where for a smaller group of children, yeah. um, where we have them for more. So English, math, science, and then a humanities um, yeah, because I, I wonder how, because as an English teacher, I don't, I mean, I'm also a year seven form tutor, so I feel like I probably should be a bit more aware of this than I am. Um, but I don't see them in lessons for other subjects. I've just had students taken out of my mainstream class to go into the nurture group. So I, I have don't have any firsthand experience on how it impacts them in other subjects. So do you, do you think there's been an impact from their experiences in nurture for English and maths and how that translates to their confidence or their performance in other subjects? Yeah, uh, I think for some it has. I have heard amazing things about some of them that they seem more confident they're doing their homework. And from, from a reading point of view, I can now say, oh yeah, they will be able to read that homework. Um, yeah some of the children are not exper- are struggling with the difference between their nurture lessons and then their mainstream lessons yeah because that and that that did us, jump out at me as a possible I have nurture for history can i have nurture for science why don't you yeah. do science um and again those were the children that i i pegged for my nourish yeah, it doesn't exist. I've made it up. It's but it's something we <laughs> do. But that that I had, you know, if we had a nourish curriculum, they would be on it. Yeah, because they need, yeah. you know, different things in their soil. Um, so yeah, yeah, good, good question. But yeah, mixed. Um, but again, that comes down to the needs of the children. Yeah, because I can imagine. I in a way, it might make transitions between classes and subjects and lessons more challenging if there's a greater not not to undermine not to say that that outweighs the benefits in any way but it's just an added thing to consider probably yeah I think um, when I come to the end of this year that will be something um, that I gather some data on definitely in terms of voice but then also have have other teachers noticed a difference Um, yeah yeah, what have the what have the the differences been, for yeah. better for worse? Yeah. So, what do you what what would your advice be if a school was convinced by this, or or, or educators from a school were convinced to to try and set this up or to to look into it anyway and see what they could do in their own setting? What would your advice be? Uh, my advice would definitely be to start with the real principles of nurture. Um, do your research, do your reading, find your vision, like w- where you really want to go with it, uh, depending on the demographic of the school. Um, because, for example, if you were in a different environment, in a more affluent area, you might have less sort of social issues to contend mm. with um so i would say it needs to really really reflect your demographic of your of your school 
um yeah definitely do your reading because it totally changed my whole perception of what nurture was and then pick out what suits your school and there won't be any school that would not benefit from the safety the psychological safety that nurture provides in you know even for 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 send students that haven't had trauma or experienced social and economic disadvantage that has impacted their um, education. I can't see yeah. a child that wouldn't benefit from that. From the same point. Of view. Absolutely. So thank you so much for all of your wisdom and enthusiasm and extremely <laughs> almost unbelievably although i do believe you positive outcomes <laughs> it really does seem surreal it really really does and because because when i when i see my students for my form group who are in one or both of those classes like i've i've seen them grow and i've seen them become more confident and i've seen them you know develop over the year but it's hard for me as a form tutor to 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 tell if that's just them maturing yeah, as yeah. young people do or how much of that i'm sure a lot of it's to do with the nurture group but I can't, it's impossible for me to tell so um thank you so much for for, for clarifying me. some things and i i really really do think every school needs to look into this and i know funding is a mess and i know space is at a premium and there are no extra people to do anything at all um but it it makes such a clear significant difference in it and it is absolutely in the best interest of all of our students so i think it's something that everyone needs to be looking at in a way that works for them so thank you i think i think as well you know the fact that our nurture group is english and maths taught by the same Mm -hmm. people i think that's a massive massive step away from what it was at my old school which was me teaching or someone teaching children that were really struggling just in english yeah, and the and maths being separate. I think children seeing that they're the same, the same principal with the same teacher again, yeah. the kind of primary link, isn't it? Um, but I think, and there must be, and fun. there must be options. Like as as um, one of our listeners said, there there must be some training options or some CPD options that would help with that. So rather than just thinking, oh, this is this is something we couldn't do, schools do the impossible, the literal, actual impossible a thousand times a day so if we can jump through flaming hoops to keep the government happy we can certainly try and wrangle things to to do this it it really does make that much of a difference so thank you so much katie for coming on and and sharing everything well thank you and thank you for listening and try and enjoy what is left of your meager monday evening You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.